Listening Dog Media. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Today we'll be talking about the revelations of Sam Burgess and his fallout with Mike Ford and whether myself and Nick have had any fallouts in our career. And of course, back to the big question of the global season. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So Nick, uh, looking sharp this morning and uh, I can see you wearing the Sharks t-shirt. Is that over a Harlequins t-shirt? Yeah, look at that. That looks pretty cool. No, mate, mate that's literally... I'll tell you what a benefit of this lockdown is. Yeah. I... I don't think I've gone into my wardrobe. I don't go into my wardrobe much anyway, that anyone ever knows right. me. I get dressed in the dark quite a lot. But uh, yeah. I've uh, I've literally had probably, what, about four or five T-shirts and shorts just uh, <laughs> on rotation in the wash, wear them throughout the last eight weeks. And this is one of them. So I've been for a run, mate. So this is a gym top, so I just stuck it on this morning, went for a nice run, freshen up, feeling sharp. I mean, What's your what's your five, what what how long are you doing? Because I'm 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 trying to compete with the Wanstead boys in their five k run, and I saw one of the coaches doing like he did it in uh, what was it uh, four minutes fifty five. I thought no way he's done that, so I did it myself. Four minutes so fifty five for five k. Yeah, sorry, uh, no twenty twenty four fifty five twenty four fifty five. So I tried to beat it right. So I got to 20, 2340 and I nearly died. I'm not joking, I nearly died. I remember doing it a lot You've got to quicker watch than your that. Rage, what was your what was your what was your best time? May I don't I mean I don't do a strict 5k obviously but uh, <laughs> this morning five is what well, it came up as 5.6 and it was around 26 minutes. Ah uh, no so, chance. You reckon? Five Seriously, you're still moving. You're still moving that quickly, are you? Mate, I felt pretty good because I tell you, um, I haven't been running for about three weeks. But uh, I don't know whether you heard of this, and this isn't a plug for anything because I'm not involved with but <laughs> you this sort of insanity workout. Have you ever heard yeah, of it? I've, I've yeah, I've done it. I've done it. Yeah, no, well, you've done it. Yeah, and uh, so I've, I haven't been doing it every day. You know, the body right. can't cope with that. I bugger. I buggered my knee up the first time I did it. Right. I was out of action for about three, four days. But uh, I've been doing it a bit. And obviously, you know, it, 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 it's body weight stuff, explosive primary stuff, but in your living room, you know. And I actually felt fitter going out for a run than what I was doing before. And I was like, actually, that's got to be quite cardio. It's, it, it's like, for those who don't know insanity, it is like Joe Wicks on steroids, isn't it? Yeah, because, exactly, exactly. But I have to say, the one frustrating thing about, uh, about the insanity is – you know the instructor. He does the he does the, the no, drill, no, and he yeah, no. and he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't do all of it. He lets no, the he doesn't. people in the room, and I'm like, you're cheating. You're not doing it all. Yeah, but yeah, some yeah, of the I'll guys say, in there are so the fit. Oh, brilliant. and the, the women misses. are so. Fit. Mate, the warm ups are the worst. You start the warm up, <laughs> then they get faster, and then he goes, and then he goes right. Keep doing that, and as you say, he'll go off to one of the you know one of his group, and then just say, yeah. keep your form right. No, no, make sure you don't sacrifice your form, and he goes, dig deeper. Dig deeper into yeah. the camera and you're like, listen, yeah. mate, 
it's easy for you to say because you're having a rest. <laughs> That's the great thing about being a, an instructor. So, I mean, the one thing that caught my eye this week, and, and I guess you may have seen the interview, but uh, Sam Burgess, I mean, wow, what an interview mm. where he basically labels Mike Ford, his then coach at Bath, a snake. So I, I want to ask you about it. For those of you who don't know um, much about it, Sam Burgess uh, signed to play for England, I think it was 2014, signed for Bath and um, eventually made the World Cup squad uh, in a short space of time, gets in the World Cup squad. And the, the big game was, of course, against Wales. Massive game and uh, an important game to get through the tournament. But uh, he was selected. Uh, I think it was inside centre, wasn't he? And then Mike Ford got dropped to the bench. Sorry, uh, George Ford got dropped to the bench and George didn't speak to him all week and he was really grumpy. And But but the big thing was after the World Cup when they lost, because I believe... So it's a bit of a conspiracy theory from Sam Burgess because he thinks that Mike infiltrated and, and, and affected what was happening with England. And, um, and so what we're saying, I think George Ford came on in the last 10 minutes, England were winning and then England lost. And then by the time England were out of the World Cup, Sam was obviously in the press everywhere because he was supposed to be the great white hope like uh, Jason Robinson. It didn't work out. But he went back to his club, walked into a room uh, to the coach, uh, Mike Ford, and basically, I can't play for you. I just don't trust you. Um, you're a snake. And uh, I just can't play for you anymore. And and so I was thinking, oh, my God, he's let the cat out of the bag. But you were, listen, you were involved. So maybe you can tell us the true inside story. Was George uh, grumpy, sulky when he got dropped? Listen, players do get like that. They get grumpy. They get upset. But what was the vibe like? Because I do feel that Sam Burgess was almost put up on a pedestal. And then when it didn't go well, he was almost part of the blame culture along with the with the, uh, I think it's Chris Robshaw, the captain. Yeah, mate. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't part of the squad then because I didn't make the cut. Um, I got right. brought in. I got brought in after we were knocked out for the Uruguay game. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> but uh, look, I was part. Uh, and and the other thing is, mate. I um, I was out with a back injury trying to get back in for six weeks, so I missed the Denver camp and everything. So I wasn't really around. You know, although I was trying to recover and everything, I wasn't really around the squad as much as I had been the previous two camps, where you know I was fully fit. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, you know, looking looking back on it, he he was definitely made a scapegoat, and uh, mm. you know, people point out correctly. So look, we were winning when he was taking off, but that's not to say anything against George Ford because you know he was trying to make out the substitution in that particular game was to make sure he had game time to feel good. Yeah. I don't believe that. I think the the substitution of that game was we brought on a kicking 10 and 12. We were winning the game to close yeah. out the game, which is yeah. what Stuart Lancaster had done before it that year. I remember I came back in the squad. He hadn't picked me for three and a half years, brought me back in. Um, I was on the bench against Wales in, in Cardiff. You remember the great standoff. I said the great standoff, the, the big standoff in the tunnel when you know they wanted to make us wait and Robbo was like, no, no, no. We, we sort of had a bit of insight. And we won that game. And I remember... Um, Danny Kerr was very disappointed he didn't play the game yeah. um, because, you know, it, it would have been, you know, club teammates back together. And, you know, he told me about his conversation with Stu and she said, look, you know, we just feel Richard Wigglesworth, you know, Youngs were starting, Richard Wigglesworth will finish the game off. You know, he knows how to close games off. And Danny rightly sort of said, well, what if you need to win the game? You know, I'm the <laughs> yeah. come up and win the yeah. game, which is you know, a fair, fair yeah. argument anyway. But my point is, 
it was a plan and a strategy throughout that they were back the sort of 15 or 23 to be leading with 10 minutes to go and then you'd sort of close out the game you know that that, that was that, that was the hope in, and certainly the decision in some of the yeah. substitutes so you know he brought Sam Burgess in um to start he didn't start the first game he brought him in you know with Brad Barrett so that was probably to match the power that the Wales had in the centre and we were winning I don't know what the score was I don't know whether it was three points or six points it was 25 honest. it was 25 18 when he went off and England right, lost so 28 25 yeah it does yeah. make sense bring a kicker so, on so, doesn't so it? you yeah. bring George on for the last what was it 15 minutes yeah 10 like minutes that. 10 minutes yeah 10 minutes two kickers yeah. to try and close out a game so I think that was that substitution I don't think there was anything sort of in playing in the mind I've got to keep him happy because yeah it, that, that never goes down well at any sort of level anyway does it when you're doing that sort of stuff just for participation mm. Mike Ford, did he win the England job? He'd already been doing it for six years. Yes, it wasn't the head coach job. I think Sam was put out by what Mike said in the press when he mm. left Bath after the World Cup. And Mike was pretty scathing on him in the press. Um, and I think yeah, Sam just sort of, you know, kept his powder dry, waiting yeah. four years, you know, just recalled what he could recall, remember what he remembered, and thought, well, this is my opportunity to get it out there. And look, there's obviously bad blood between them. And he, he said, "Yeah, Mike Ford." And, and said, you know, and, I, and he wasn't treated. He wasn't treated. I don't think he was treated well by, by either organisation. You bring someone like that in, you, you've got to, you've got to have an idea of how you're going to utilise someone like that. Because for, for my money, mate, he could have been a tremendous asset in Union, and he just wasn't utilised the way he should have been utilised. But look, that, I, I think the big, I mean, on that, the big thing, and you're a back row player. The big thing, and the question is, what would have been his best position? We had this with. With Andy um, Farrell as well, who was he a six or could he learn a six or could he play 12? I mean, he's such a great ball player, very similar to Sam Burgess in a way, but I, I think you're right. I think at Bath, they were playing him at six and then got to England, then it'll have been 12. And there's so much to learn in the game, isn't there, at six and 12? I mean, I, I'm not sure. I think maybe he, he could have played like a, a six or, or, or an, an extra centre. Uh, but there's so much to learn in rugby, whereas in rugby league, it's just crash it up, isn't it? I know rugby league no, people mate, I mean, might say we, we're going away from you know his revelations and what happened. Yeah. And obviously, I'll go in my opinion on um, on it as well. Although I was, what was his best position? What do you what do you think his best position was? What was his best position? What was I think my my personal take is I think he should have been used as six. And the, re the reason I'll give for that is what was, what was his what was his X factor? His X factor yeah. was. He would. He was in. He was a hell of an athlete, mate. I will tell you, he was really. Incredible. When you're with the elite of England, anyway, you've got the best. Yeah. The best. That guy was impressive. He was explosive, footwork. He loved the contact. So it's like, right. So what? What is it? What's his X factor? His X factor is being able to make twenty tackles and twenty hit ups a game. You know, yeah. give or take. Right. He's not going to do that at twelve. No. All right. Did he have the, the, the pace and the game management in union to be able to play 12 and the all-court game, you know, the passing game, the kicking game, being able to communicate to the 10? Had, he hadn't had the exposure and experience no. in the tightest of games and different conditions to be able to transform that quickly. Six, you know, I, I played eight because I had a brain, but six, you don't really have to have much of a brain. You can pretty much, you get told, do this, do this, do this, mate. You'll be as influential as anywhere, anyone else. Yeah. Um, but you could have used him, mate, in a playmaking. Yeah. So you, could have, you still could have used him. You know, you would have used him off short lineouts, right? Get him in the game. You know, Billy Benapola. You know, you're not going to use him in a lineout, are you? Get get him either as a decoy, or you get him carrying, getting over the game line first phase. You can use him second phase, third phase. You know, scrums as well. You could have been smart with how you use him. 
but also use him as a ball player sometimes. Yeah. You know, he could have been out the back of one of those pods. Who's to, who's to say it should be a back that's out the back of one of those pods? You know, yeah. look to you look towards where the game's going. You know, if you've got a skillful, you know, a big guy who's skillful and has got footwork and playmaking ability, which he did have, but it's harder to transform the playmaking ability when defences are so far back in league and all the other nuances. Yeah. Because the ability in contact, which he was superb with, because I was, I was, I was at Sa- you could have added, at, you could have added that to his game. I, I was at Saracens when Andy Fla- uh, Andy uh, Farrell turned up, and um, you know you could see, uh, you know, a, re- a really good athlete, got great left boot, um, really dedicated, really interested in everything that was going on. Never quite. I think you're right. At twelve, I think you've got to be a supreme. I'm going to call it Olympic athlete with huge pace and and I don't think Sam Burgess or Andy um Andy had that at all they didn't quite have the pace and so I think the next best thing is probably a six and and actually to have having them roaming around the pitch whether they're a playmaker or they're crashing up like you say and that would have been been better but I, th- I don't no, think I mean it's interesting you say about the, the pace and I did mention it I don't think that you know, he was fast enough. You know, you look, Owen Farrell plays at 12. You know, he's not the quickest 12, albeit a world-class player. Jamie Roberts, you know, certainly not as quick as, as Sam Burgess. Sonny Bill Williams, not straight straight gas. And I think England saw him in the mould of Sonny Bill. That yeah. Big the way England played compared to New Zealand, weren't going to get him in the game as much as if he no. played it. Um, and Sonny Bill had had a bit more exposure to sure. rugby union, you know, down in Toulon, coming back and forth. Than Sam had sort of what nine months to learn the trade, um, mm. but look, it, 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 it's just, done now, just, isn't it? It's done now. On, um, on fallouts, though, on on big fallouts with uh, with coaches, I just wonder in your long illustrious career if you had any fallouts with coaches like like I might have had in my career. Well, let's hear about yours to begin with. Then. Oh, who am I? All right. So you're so, obviously so, basically what you're portraying is you're a really divisive, difficult character who wants to get his own way. Is that what you're telling me, Brett? Yeah, that's that's me all <laughs> over. Of course it is, Nick. Of course it is. You're a scrum no, up after all. Yeah, of course. Well, listen. Obviously, uh, at the time it was Book Shelford came in as coach of Saracens. Yeah. Now we went through so many coaches. It was Francois. It was Rod Kafer. It was Steve Diamond. But at the time. We ended up with Buck Shelford. And I remember he comes in for pre-season and he says, right, boys, training in the morning. We're all like, okay, yeah, fine, whatever. And he says, I'll see you at Trent Park at five. And we're all looking around going, did he just say five? So he got us at at a local park at five in the morning. So we we had to get up at half four. And if you know Buck Shelford, he comes from all the military background and all of that. So we end up, training at five in the morning going for like a 40 minute proper running hike in the woods and all these props are just left just all over the place not good so he was properly old school was he uh, was was he taking part as well was he no no he's just with his whistles run to the top of the hill back down run to the top of the hill if you tear something or something's not quite right he doesn't care you're soft you're weak so he was proper old school but so uh, the rest of us were used to sort of like international rugby and proper coaching and stuff, but he was like proper five on five, like a rock scrap, whatever, win the ball, you know, and he didn't care if you were injured, you were weak. So it was just awful. And I Mate, just, that must, have I, been, that must have been quite surprising though, because although we're going back a while, New Zealand, 
you know, by, by you know, general consensus, are always sort of a few steps ahead, aren't they? And they're very pro mm. the sort of speed of ruck ball and playing the yeah. game, you know, at pace with zip and execution. Yeah. And they were in his day, you know, he was part of that great all-black side of 87, sort of 86, 87, 88, wasn't he? And, you know, if that's what he bought, it, you must have been sort of surprised. You just said that no, we, had, just, we were used to international coaching and good coaching. He comes in, it's like, well, I would have thought he would have taken it up a level. No, so what he, he basically went from, I, I remember my amateur days at Bristol and um, I would turn up on a Tuesday night and I'd be with the forwards and every Tuesday night there'd be a, a big bust up, there'd be a big, big fight. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, as far as the coaches are concerned, that was brilliant. All right. But they would actually precipitate it by having drills where it was one on one and three on three. And it was just ridiculous. And there would be stitches after training. And you probably, you were probably uh, privy to that when you were in the, you know, early in your career. But for me, it was, it was just incredible. And I went into obviously professional area and then suddenly Buck becomes coach. And we went right back to the days where it was, it was uh, dog eat dog, and the training was really long, and the analysis was wasn't very uh, good. And after a while, people are starting to get annoyed. But I just so the big fallout was uh, it was just about we were about to play Bristol. It was my old club, so I think it was Bristol or Bath, I can't, something like that. And um, basically, Sky were doing an interview uh, with Buck Shelford as to why Saracens were struggling and losing. And I, I think I was captain at the time. And he basically said to the camera, he said, um, we're losing because we're lacking leaders, right? So anyway, as our session uh, had finished, Sky came up to me and said, can we have a quick word? We want to do an interview with you, Kieran. We just had a word with Buck Shelford, your coach. You've lost the last five games. Massive, massive game uh, this weekend against Bristol. Or, yeah, Bristol, I think it was. Um, you know, you need to get out of relegation fight or whatever. And he said, he, and apparently he says, the reason why they're losing is because they lack leadership. So I'm sitting there going, you wanker. So I've just went, I just looked at the camera and said, well, pot kettle black, isn't it? So that's what I've said, right? Oh my God. So it's, it's everywhere now. It's everywhere. Pot kettle black, bracken slams, coach slams, player. Anyway, um, so the next day he phones me and said, come in, we need to clear the air. So I walk in and he says, uh, he says, what do you mean by, what, what's, what does pot kettle black mean? I said, well, you're saying I'm lacking leadership and I'm saying maybe you're lacking a bit of leadership is what I say to him. And then he says, I never said that to the camera. I never said that. I said, well, I'm told you did. No, I never said that. So I had to phone up Sky and anyway, it was all, anyway, so the good thing is I had a cracking game against Bristol. I didn't score a try and we won the match and, Big celebration, but on the way home we were all singing like "Pot Kettle Black," "Pot Kettle Black." It was brilliant, but it didn't last long. He, he didn't last long at Saracens. But that was my um, that was my well. Did, but, well, I'm doing a gas question. Did he say it to camera? Was there evidence? Yeah, no, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he just he lied. Did, but he, he just lied. Well, my my other one, my other one, and it wasn't a proper. This wasn't a proper fallout, but it was it was a funny moment. Francois Pinar is. Um, coaching a team that are losing Saracen so he's a World Cup winner you know he can't take losing he's he's a winner obviously and he brought in one we, we, we kept um, getting marched back 10 yards uh, by the referee for speaking back to the referee so as coach he said right anyone talking to the referee I'm going to give you a, a 50 pound fine right this is what he says I think Tony Diprose was the captain so we go into the next game and being a little scrum off, you're always talking to the referee or whatever. I'm sh- shouting at the referee and we get marched back uh, 10 yards, right? 
So they have a penalty. And anyway, uh, 15 minutes later, I do the same, march back 10 yards. So now in, in, in the video review, he's going, £50 fine. And then five minutes, 10 minutes later, £100 fine, right? And it goes on. I'm up to 150 quid now, right? So then Francois, who was playing in the actual match, shouts something at the referee, right? Mm. And we got marched back 10. So I said, Francois, can you stop the video? <laughs> I said, uh, can you rewind it a bit? And he rewinds it. I said, so I pointed at him. I said, £50 fine. <laughs> this is what I said to him, right? Oh, my God. He, this death stare. I thought, Kieran, that was not wise. That was not wise. Anyway, so I walk into his his room. Who the fuck do you think you are? And he's properly rinsing me. And I went, yeah, but you create the rules. I'm just saying, we marched back 10, you pay 50 pounds. And then so he, he, was was doing, like, he was doing a bit of uh, Dominic Cummings, was he? <laughs> he was doing a, a bit of that. But I was, so have you never had a fallout with a coach? Oh, mate, mate, we've had strong disagreements, you know, certainly challenged them and had, you know, big disagreements. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, how long did those fallouts last, though? I mean, were they, was that sort of it? Was oh. there bad blood after that? Because after all of mine, it's sort of right, okay, thanks, you know, let bygones be bygones sort of thing. You've aired your views, you've aired mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, better no, sort of thing. Yeah, it, it wasn't yeah, a it was, case of, we ain't speaking for the rest of the year. No, 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 no. We're or, grown men. Or, no, you, no, you know, it was fine. I'm getting you out of the club. Or it was fine. It was, no, no, no. It was none of that. There was none of that. I'm just, there were just moments when I think of the Sam. He's been festering for years, wanting to say something. But something you said earlier, and I just, I had an incident like you had. I'd ask you about the incident in the tunnel in the World Cup, because we had an incident in 2003 which was not quite on the tunnel, which was, do you remember England uh, ran out supposedly the wrong side and refused against to Ireland, move yeah. against Ireland? But what? So remind me of your one, the one in Wales. What happened there? That was, um, I think Graham Roundtree was our forwards coach, and he just got a bit of insight. I don't know how, but found out that Wales were just trying to play a little bit of mind games, like they always do under Gatland, you know, when they, when you, they stood up to the hucker or whatever and didn't walk away or... You, New Zealand do the hucker indoors. You know, he likes a few mind games. It was the first game to Six Nations, big build-ups. And the last time England went to Cardiff, they got the pants pulled down, if you remember, 2013. Yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, it's pretty similar teams. And he got an inkling. He said, look, he said to Robbo and a few of the guys who are going to be at the front, he said, when you walk out the change rooms, don't walk out and carry on onto the field because they're going to make you wait five minutes. That's right, their plan. Okay. Yeah. So Robbo was there, and I can't remember who the ref was. I think it was Jerome Garces actually was going to say, "Come on, come on, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go." And he's like, "We're not going until we see them." So until they're out there changing them, <laughs> oh, the side facing, we're not going. <laughs> he's like, "No, no, no, you've got to go, you've got to go on the field." You know, you've got to go on the field because they'd obviously brief the refs or might have told the refs, "Look, let them go out first. We want to come out second. There's a few things we need to do or whatever." Yeah. And they probably try to adjust the timing as well, so making sure that England got out early. And we just stood our ground, mate, similar to you, Brilliant. in 03. Still gets a no until we see him. And then Alan Wynne-Jones, I think, led him out um, back then. Or was it Sam? I think about most Sam Warburton. Um, I was at the back. I was on the bench. But Because uh, yeah, the Ireland one. You, you've yeah. got to make a stand, mate. And people talk about the psychological games um, in rugby. And a lot of people just say, what do you mean? You know, you, it's not going to affect a catch and pass and tackle. But it does make yeah. a huge difference. You know, if, if you don't make a stand there, at their home stadium in that bear pit that is the Millennium Stadium, then you're basically yeah. conceding to them. 
And you're basically saying, well, you can dictate to us for the rest of the game. And well, we it, weren't prepared yeah. to do it. Well, it's pretty, yeah, we see it in football, don't we? And we remember, I think it was the, was it the Man United and Man City or, uh, you know, Liverpool? You know, there's a few standoffs in the tunnel. But, but for us in 2003, whenever, like you say, the psychological advantage to start the game, it's always great to, to have the opposition waiting for you for ages, especially when it's cold. So this game against Ireland is a Grand Slam decider for us. If we win this game, we win the Grand Slam. We, we'd failed quite a few times against, Wales, against Wales and France and Scotland. You know, nightmare. So this is crucial and this is leading into the World Cup. You know, it'd be great to be Grand Slam champions. So before the game, we're talking about what they might do before the game in the tunnel. We say, well, what they're probably going to do is get us to go out there, wait for ages. You know, it's going to be a nightmare. And we're also, they're probably going to make sure there's a crash on the motorway so that we get there late. And, you know, there's going to be a nightmare trying to get to the ground. It's all, they're all going to try and get under our skin, Clive Woodward says. So we won't let that happen. But Martin Johnson, he's just one of the best, isn't he, in these scenarios. So we run out and basically... Uh, we're told as we're out there when we go out before the anthems that we're told um, to go stand on on one side. So we run out and Ireland don't come out. They don't come out. Someone comes up and says, you've got to line up. So well, Ireland are not here yet. Where are they? Where are they? So we line up one side. Ireland come out. They go into like a, like a, a circle and have a chat. And it's now we're standing there in this lineup for literally five minutes and like one minute's a long time isn't it like it's forever well, they were uh, they were going for the grand slam as well weren't yeah they? that's right yeah and so that's why i call it grand slam decider anyway he so this 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 uh, so we realized after just standing there for a Martin's getting really pissed off now he's getting you know when he gets pissed off his brow comes down and he starts he starts wandering like a caged lion he gets really aggressive and anyone who comes up he just swears at them he says where the fucking hell are they where the fucking hell are they get them to get them to line up now get them to line up now this is a fucking joke so he's walking around he's shouting at people and then they come down and as they're coming over they re- like they say they realize that we're lined up on the wrong side because we because we lined up on the side that we we were kicking off from okay so someone said no england you've got to move down to the other end so that the presidents or whatever can meet England first and then Ireland, right? Something like that. And uh, basically, Brian O'Driscoll's, I think he was captain's going, what do I do here? England won't move. Someone comes up and says, you've got to move now 25 metres. And John, John who looks and said, I'm not fucking moving. I've been waiting here five minutes. They can fucking move, right? He's swearing at them. This is brilliant. And so all the crowd go like see what's happening and see that we're not moving and i'm standing at a few, just a few up from martin johnson and these tv officials you got to move get to move you're gonna fucking get up there now and he's thinking fuck you it's brilliant and then so the island decide to walk to the other side of us so not so it's really it you know non-symmetrical the whole thing looked a mess and then the crowd start realizing over oh, the radio what's happening england won't move but it, the fact is, it wouldn't move because they they'd fucked around for five minutes. They'd really pissed us off. So, Mark, so but cycle. I think we won the game fifty six nine. We absolutely smashed them. But that was a moment that uh, for Martin Johnson as a captain, you know, massive psychological advantage because Ireland then suddenly are going. Hang on a sec. Why are we standing down there? Get they're not moving. So suddenly it was like a rock in their face. It was like you're having it. And people think people think that we planned it. People think we were in the change room going, what we'll do is we'll go on the wrong side. It wasn't planned, right? They just messed around and, that, and, and we came out the better, I think. 
Yeah, but sometimes it doesn't work, does it? As I said, uh, <laughs> Adam, Jones, Adam, Adam Jones told me, he told me this, as I've just mentioned, Wales always used to like a few mind games under Gats, and he says, with the hucker, out of respect, you should walk away. They lay down the challenge, you walk away. Yeah. So he yeah. said, you're going to stare it down. And I don't know whether you remember that game. I can't remember what year it was. They tried, they stared it down. Apparently, they got they got beaten by 45 points. <laughs> so it was like, I don't think we'll do that again. So, so there's psychological good. warfare, mate, and there's psychological warfare. Sometimes, no, there is. Sometimes, sometimes it, it can have an effect. But ultimately, yeah. mate, there's 80 minutes of rugby to be played, isn't there? So Yeah. Now, listen, the last, uh, I suppose, the last few chats we've had, we've talked about the global season, we've talked about the money in the game, talked about players moving, but um, you know, it'd be a good chance now to talk about the fact that it looks like the players are coming back to play in some form or other, as in train, um, the date the date uh, fixed for, for starting actually matches is uh, we don't really know, but it's uh, what's hey, you your do take know on? It. It's, mate, it's my birthday. Oh, is it? 15th of August, mate, They're the greatest date in the diary. Mm. Um, so it's yeah, weird. I, I mean, sale. I don't know whether you... ship, isn't it? Premiership sort of said maybe the fourteenth on the Friday there might be one or two games, but the fifteenth yeah. August is the weekend. Um, but this weekend, Super Rugby New Zealand's back, and they've also they've come Gun out. Morning, they've come out this morning, and they've said that they're not going to have any restrictions on crowds, the number of people in there. They can fill the stadiums. So wow. I will be getting up. I think the Saturday games are being screened at eight fifteen a.m. Yeah. And the Sunday games at 4.30 a.m. Mate, I've been dying to see rugby. I'm getting up at 4.30 Are you seriously getting up? You're going to get up at 4.30 mate. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, no. You're not. I'll have it on record. I'll have it on record. But, uh, Dan mate, Carter's back, isn't it? Yeah, but brilliant brilliant effort from New Zealand all round, mate, to get that going. And uh, the other thing, from, from coaching, just regards, you know, from coaching last year in Super Rugby, um, those New Zealand derbies were something else when you watched them. You know, I just remember... Yeah. So some of the, the speed, skill, and ferocity of some of the games, and you know, and it wasn't overly structured. Like our games are very structured up here. It wasn't overly structured, but it was it was magnificent to watch, and it was just some of the most sensational rugby that was played down there. And with this obviously being a domestic tournament, in New Zealand, and you know, everyone's fresh now, everyone's fit, everyone's looking forward to playing. You know, they appreciate the game again because they're not being flogged to death. I expect to see some, some top quality rugby of all kinds. But, but they, but, mate, but they, 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 aren't they bringing in a couple of law changes? So a red card's twenty minutes. Isn't that right? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think, I think about the orange. This court. particular competition is saying if you get a red card, you'll be sent off for twenty minutes. You'll be allowed back on. It's like, well, hold on a second. That could be that's brutal. Hardly, <laughs> that's hardly punishment if someone's just going <laughs> with a flying shoulder to the head. Uh, well, I might do, be wrong. Do you know what? Do you know what though? My favourite quote of this week, and I don't know whether you saw, you probably did see it, uh, was Eddie Jones. He was interviewed. <laughs> he was interviewed about yeah, I saw uh, that, New yeah. Zealand rugby. And for those who don't know, it was, what a line. He said, mate, you know, uh, New Zealand have got the, the best young players in the world. They've got the best three academies in the world in Fiji, <laughs> in Tonga, and, and, and Samoa. I thought, oh, my God, boom. I mean, that is properly condescending, but quite funny, but almost true, though, wouldn't well, you say? True. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, it is a thing, though. Just to, uh, we'll finish off and talking about... Um, you know, the skill level in New Zealand. Just out of interest with such a small note, why is it their skill level is so good, let's say, compared to, uh, uh, let's say, European rugby? Is it because 
you know, they throw a ball around, you know, on the beach or is it because of the coaching or is it, is it just a, you know, it's more of a, a national sport. Like obviously we have football and we're very good footballers and rugby players. We don't have the weather. We don't go out and throw a ball around as much. Do you think it's to do with the coaching or do you think it's more to do with the fact that their lifestyle out, out being able to play, uh, you know, in the beautiful weather allows them to do it? What do you think? What's your take? Well, I don't think the weather's going to do it, Brad. So that South Island gets wetter than Manchester. Uh, most of the year, and it's and it's right. bloody cold down there near the Antarctic. Look, I, I don't know the answer, but I can certainly speculate. Um, did a bit of CPD out there, trying to get to the bottom and things like that. It's embedded in their culture to begin with. Yes, they might only have six million or whatever it is, but everyone wants to be an all black. Like, you know, um, yeah, you know, girl or girl or boy when they're growing up, they want to represent the black jersey, international level, the senior level. They they want to do it. Just about every single person yeah. wants to do that. Um, and, and and the basics are taught um, really, really young. And the basics just being able to catch and kick off both hands, tackle well, and the breakdown. And they have a real emphasis on those sort of things. Um, yeah. You know, your, your catch pass, your kicking ability, doesn't matter. You know, you don't know what position people are going to be, whether you're a forward or whatever. Breakdown and tackle technique. And um, I think when they get into the sort of system, and obviously they're playing a lot of it as well, you know, yeah. every spare moment they're playing within a garden, they're trying new skills out and things. And I think also the philosophy over there about playing the quickest rugby, you can, you know, running teams off their feet has yeah. always been a New Zealand thing. And we're going out there, we're playing, you know, we're unpredictable. We're going to throw around our dead ball. If we see an opening, if there's one little glimmer of opportunity, we, we'll have a go. Whereas here it's a little yeah. bit more, actually, we don't want to take that risk. We're risk averse. Um, whereas there, they'll have a go. And it doesn't matter, mate. Their weather's just as bad as here over there. It's not Australia or South Africa where it's hard grounds all around. And, uh, but it's just ingrained in their philosophy and culture. And then when they get to the school system, as we know, and we might have said before, they have the waiting system, don't they? Um, where they've done it by do weight. Still, so, I didn't, didn't realise they still did that. I thought that was Yeah, well, I'm not myth. sure if they still do it. But it's, I, I mean, so. you, you just got to logically think about it, haven't you? If you've got a big lump of air, but he's playing with, but he has to play a couple of age grades above. He's going to have to find other ways to put his teammates through holes or to manipulate a weak shoulder or space rather than just running straight through someone, which is what happens all around here's, the world. Here's the, here's the thing I'm, I, I, I noted mostly about playing against the All Blacks is I would say that I would say that we had as skillful players as them, but I think where they separated from the rest was really in the pack. They would have front row forwards, second row, and back row who were just really, really skillful compared to. So hold on, uh, mate. You just said we had just as skillful players in them, and then you say. You know, no, 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 but, no. I'm sorry. I'm no, but saying, no, but then their pack were more gen- skillful. But that means no, no. you didn't have more skillful no, players. No, 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 no. Okay, all right. Don't be pedantic. What I'm saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, in New Zealand, you know, hookers. Props, you know, they can offload, they can pass off both hands, and I think we've been trailing behind. I'm talking about in, in the backs. I think. Yeah, probably they are a little bit more skillful, but I would say that we have quite, quite, you know, quite skillful players. But I just noticed in the pack, especially where you wouldn't expect a hooker to suit yeah. a little flip pass. But, you know we, we, I mean? but, but you look at us now, and we've caught up certainly from the skill level point of view. Yeah, there's we a couple have. Of other yeah. things. There's a couple of other things there as well, mate. Is at the highest level, whenever I played and you played and everything, you know, their their danger was always really in the back line. Look, yeah, they play a, a yeah. fast brand of rugby, but. As Eddie Jones rightly points out, when, when you get those big Fijians and Samoans and Tongans over, and they're on the wing yeah. and in the centre. 
there's massive yardage and line breaks to be made and killer line breaks there rather than sort of in the tighter exchanges. Um, and, and also with their coaching, you know, they invest in their coaches over there and everyone, everyone conforms to playing very similar. I'm not saying exactly the same, but a similar template in terms yeah. of how they defend, how they scrummage and restart the game, how their line-out defense is, how their line-out and how their attack is and how they approach the breakdown. So everyone's joined up in terms of exactly what the techniques are and the philosophies mm. and mindset regards every aspect of the game. So, you know, it's just sort of seamless throughout that they just have this, uh, you know, throughout the age groups, throughout the schooling, and then when you get into the professional system, the, mm. the top of the pyramids where everyone aspires to be. Sometimes yeah. people start at the bottom, whereas they actually start from the top and filter it down in terms of this mm. is how we won, you know, our philosophy, our mindset. You but know, I, think, I think levels to look like it. I think centrally being centrally contract really helps that though, you know, and I think they can manage the players a lot better than we can. We're always in France and England, we're always going to be fighting against the system. Uh, but it'd be a good chance to talk now about, you know, about what's going to happen in the next few months. Obviously, there's talk, and you might have a bit of it more inside knowledge. There's a bit of talk about this global season, about the fact that maybe finishing this season and the European calendar and then starting the next season in January to try and perhaps collide uh, world calendars so that's quite interesting which is almost forced upon us with coronavirus but there's a lot of I don't know whether you've been reading the papers a lot of a lot of um, nostalgic writers talking about the, the the allure of playing in the winter months and the Christmas time and said it'd be a massive shame to to to, to bend over and play at a time of year when they don't necessarily need to. But um, it sounds like there's an opportunity, I guess, to 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 change the, the, the world calendar. And there's a, a big push for it, isn't there? Yeah, I'm speaking to a few people in the game. I don't think anything's been set in stone, but there's a meeting coming up very soon between the world powers, if you like. You know, we've spoken many times about how many stakeholders there are in the game and everyone wants their slice of the pie. Um, about doing exactly that, Brax, you know, as we were talking about before, that, right, get the season done, the Premiership season in Europe done, and then restart in January. And, you know, possibly, look, we, we don't know, but that's what we're talking about, is you start off with the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship in both hemispheres. You then yeah. go into your club game, which will be mainly in the summer for us, um, the yeah. winter still for them. And then you finish off with the sort of autumn internationals, um, uh, at the end of the year, so it will sort of be international, club, international. And if, if we just take it as red, let's let's just use that as an example. It might not be like that at all because we know how hard it is to get anything through in, in rugby. But what, what do you think of that? What, what do you think about starting the season off in January for a start, then go straight into the Six Nations, then then the club game, and then the international? I think it, I, I do think it does make sense to collide the calendars. I think I do think it sort of strategically makes sense player welfare. I, I don't like sometimes the idea of of actually you play for your club and then suddenly it's Europe and then then you play internationally and then suddenly you're back and then you're sort of it's all over the place. But I do think the one thing that I do particularly like though is I do like to see my my Premiership rugby in the winter months. I do like it, and also you got to remember if we then go into the to start playing in the summertime, we're now colliding with Wimbledon, we're colliding with other sports, and the you know, and I just find it. I don't know. There's something quite nice about that winter rugby, but again, maybe I'm just old school. Well, you've changed your tune, mate. 
because the last few times we've done this recording, you've been saying you want summer rugby. No, no, I want it. I want it all. I want everything. Nah. No, I, I mean, look, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in a similar view. I've said it before. Um, you know, there's multiple reasons. You know, we spoke about it. You know, you got, you know, the community game, the amateur game, the school game. You know, if you haven't got top flight rugby on, who do they look up to? Who are their role models? Will they fall out? Of, you know, fall away from the game and take up something else. The other big thing is. You know, rugby, if, it, if it's in the summer and club rugby in the summer, so if we look at the internationals in sort of February, March, April maybe, and then yeah. October, November, if that's what they're looking at. Okay, well, if you're looking at June, July, August, and that's when the premiership in Europe's going to be, and this is where you know, the club rugby game's really got to get, you know, get, basically get the money back in the game and get the interest back in the game and grow the interest of the game. You're fighting against Wimbledon, the Open Championship, a football tournament every two years, whether it be World Cup or the Euros. Yeah, the yeah. Picks every four years. It's like, well, you're competing with all of this, and actually, that is that is going to do you far more harm, in in my opinion, in terms of trying to grow interest in the game than good. Yeah, it's just going to be too much sport on TV. I agree, and I also agree. it's going to be it's going to be a very different look for a lot of traditionalists because we've also got to remember that. A lot of your rugby supporters are people that know the nuances of the game, accept the complications within the laws of the game. Mm. If you bring a game to the summer to try and you know, get your new eyes watching or whatever it is, and you've got a complicated game anyway with the laws, and then you're competing with games that they know that they love. They love Wimbledon. They love, they love the golf. They love the Olympics. Or they like the football and Euros. They're not going to be watching it. No, so you're probably... In the winter, yeah, yeah. In the winter it's competing yeah. with less. I like the fact, just from a purely rugby point of view, that it asks more questions of your squad and your tactics. You know, you start the season the first yeah, two months. Yeah. It's nice running rugby, weather most of the time. Then you get into the sort of, all right, November, it's getting a bit cold, but the pitch is still hard. Then December, January, beginning of Feb. Okay, the pitches are better at the highest level now, but they're still, you know, you're relying mm. a lot more on the sort of territorial and set-piece game than you were before. Less, less sort of ball in hand time, maybe, and then it opens up again towards the end of the season. You are, and, yeah. you know, and it asks questions of you, and it gives variety to the game as well. They have um, said, they have said, Super Rugby has lost its allure because it's just, it just becomes a bit like basketball, and it's like throwing the ball around and all sorts. So it'd be interesting. What do you think Rugby League has been affected by the way they've changed? You know, when they play and stuff, whether Rugby League have struggled a little bit. Don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? But um, yeah. A few, a few players now this week have announced their signing. So Joe Marler has uh, decided, oh, I don't know why, I just had this feeling that uh, he, he'd had enough, especially uh, after... He's Quinn's through and through, mate. He's Quinn's through and through. Well, well, he signed for another four, is it four years? How old is he, 32? I mean, that's I mean, that's great for Quinn. No, he's it? 30, I think he's 30. Is he 30? Yeah. But a few other signings. So uh, Ben Spencer's gone from Saracens to Bath, I think, for three years. That's a that's a great signing for them. I think he's a cracking player. Uh, but still up in the air with a few players. Good to see. Just, he's just on loan for a year. Oh, is it? Uh, well, I, yeah, I read it. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading the rugby paper. Who? Uh, let me just see this. Yeah, no, Spencer signs for three years at Bath. No, so oh, he's right, gone for three enough. years. Yeah. So, but Itozi's still not declared where he's going to go and, and I'm guessing though that the, the possibility of going to France is maybe not there now with with less money in the game well but I think the... also that I think England have said oh, he would fall England into the category that's right, and he would yeah. affect his Lions chances wouldn't he yeah. but, uh... so here's the thing we're at that moment now 
with money. I mean, I, I think you may have heard about Bill Sweeney talking about the finances of the RFU. I mean, they're already at 100 million debt. And I think part of their bylaws within their governance is they can't take more debt than 100 million. So apparently Bill Sweeney said they're going to have to change that and get another 50 million. But again, I mean, how do we get out of this absolute mess? I mean, coronavirus, you know, really has. I mean, the TV money I don't think is enough to allow clubs to survive. But but certainly internationally, a stadium like Twickenham, you know, it's millions and millions to operate. And for them... To have a socially distant match in the autumn is just going to kill them. And, and, and actually now, the, I think the idea, and, and it comes back to where all the money is, the money's in, I think, it's in international games. It's not necessarily in club games. Yes, European games it is. And I think if they, we can create competitions, whether, whether let's just say, I've said it before, whether Six Nations become home and away in one year, you probably you know, the amount of income you could generate just from that. And that could then trickle down into the clubs. I don't know. We're in a, we're a bit of a mess at the moment. But with the mess, there's opportunity. But I don't know. I just don't know the right answer where the clubs and the, the unions can get money from, I, I, you know, with, with, with no people in the, in the stadiums. It's just yeah, a look, mess. I mean, that's always good. It's always going to be a problem. There is no answer. They can't get people in the stadiums apart from a greater TV deal, is there, Brex? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, yeah. I think we've just got to sort of, hope that there's enough players in the market and that this this um, lockdown experience has driven everyone to, uh, or sorry, uh, you know, to want to, to wanna watch more sport and be desperate for live sport. So that yeah. if there's, you know, two plus players in the market come the TV rights up next year, yeah. that, um, you know, they can get a good deal out of it. That, you know, dependent, you know, despite what's going on regards social distancing, whether it's still involved or the measures are still there. Look, I mean, it's simple, simple numbers and simple maths that it can't survive if it carries on, uh, you know, into next year. Um, it will survive, but it can't survive very well, and it'll take a long, long time to get back to any sort of level footing. Um, just going back to that global calendar as well, we spoke about it didn't we last week. Doing a pre-season in December and January, right? Mm. So you finish. So if you're a club player, so again, we're talking, we're talking about. Um, oh, no, I've lost you there for a second. I mean, we're, we're talking about if you're a club player, you're not an international player. So your club season won't start. So let's just say February, March is Six Nations. Club season starts beginning of April. will end at the end of September, right? Or middle of September, let's say. Save me. Right. Yeah. So that means in the middle of September, you're just a club player. Middle of September, you're, you get four or five weeks off. So let's mm. just say the five weeks takes to end of October. That means you're back in training at beginning of November. You're not playing a game till beginning of April. April, it's a long time. So that's six months, no, sorry, five months of winter pre-season. How many warm weather camps can you go on, mate? What are you going to do with yourself? What are you going to do with yourself? Just, I mean, the way they're looking at the moment, going international, club international, it's like, sod the, sod the club player that doesn't play internationals. You know? yeah. Or some people might say, well, I've got five months off, but you won't have five months off. You'll be coming in bleak, darkest winter months, down and ups, hitting pads in the mud in the driving rain, right? <laughs> and you'll, you'll be literally counting down the days come Christmas time. Counting yeah. down January, February. March. Yeah, no, it would be it would be horrible, wouldn't it, training those winter months and then but listen, you know, some people love playing in would like to play in the summer. But um just from a financial point of view though, it, it seems to me that the the, the pl- 
players and even more so the coaches are going to be if if we can't if we can't get it right financially everyone's going to have to take i know it's 25% at the moment i think it's going to be 50% plus for the game to survive and, yeah, and coaching yeah. Well, teams I think, yeah i think gloucester went in trying to get 50% off didn't they originally um I think then Wasps and London Irish are sort of put really, really pushing for the salary cap to be reduced as quickly as possible. Other clubs clearly, you know, a lot of the other West Country guys, Bath, Bristol, Exeter, have managed their finances well. I've got, you know, big backers who, who have ambition, but uh, it's going to be scaled back, mate. Um, as I said, you know, I think we just better hope for an influx of TV money, but it, it's too dangerous to try and compare to other sports because it's its own sport in its own right. So if you compare it to rugby league, it's like, well, rugby league's a club game. Rugby union is an international game. But actually, our club game has grown and grown and grown, especially in the Premiership. Yeah. We've done a wonderful yeah. job. Let's not forget that. And there is tribalism of a, of a degree within our club game, which you need. You know, you look at the football model, it's all club. And, you know, if we can get a happy balance once this resumes, if we can find a happy balance and people can start agreeing and conceding around the table um, rugby can be in a really really good place come sort of five ten years time but until that happens uh, we'll just keep going around instead you retired at the right time then didn't you Nick <laughs> <laughs> Man, I could have got another season if this COVID oh, could you? Could you? Yeah, you could have got another season yeah, you could have got another year out yourself yeah Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter the brand new rugby podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Friday with an interview with the Beast. So please listen, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast. Cheers. Cheers.